0: to today's homeowner with danny lipford your partner in home improvement everyone has questions about their home we've got the answers and we have a few laughs along the way informative entertaining and sometimes off the wall home improvement has never been this much fun
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this hour of Today's Homeowner Radio. I am Danny Lifford, along with my co-host, Joe Truini, and we've got another great hour all set up and ready to go. want to remind you how you can reach out to us. You can head over to todayshomeowner.com ask and send us an email right now or pick up the phone anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The Today's Homeowner Hotline phone number is 800 946 20. Joe, you know, I'll tell you, you can tell in some parts of the country that they're starting to get kind of not really a glimpse of spring, but you'll right. have an occasional uh, day that uh, you can get outside and start looking around. People are getting restless and, and our audience is ready to get a lot of work done around their house.
2: Well, we're in the first week of February here, and I think most people are very much looking forward to spring. So, yeah, you're right. Some parts, I'm in Connecticut, so we have a ways to go before we think about spring. But you're right, in some parts of the country, I think they're already starting to finish up some interior projects. And we've heard from quite a few um, listeners, actually, in the last couple of weeks, Danny, planning their spring projects.
1: Yeah, everything takes a little more patience and a little more planning these days. So go ahead and start moving forward with that. And um, also want to tell you a brand new research project, a very impressive survey. We've just completed it. It's online right now that will tell you the most current information about ROI, the return on your home improvement dollar. You'll be surprised. Some of the things that score really high, some that score really low. You can see it right now. It's just been released today. Todayshomeowner.com slash radio. We have a link posted right on the site right there. You need to drop by and take a look at it. Right now, we want to help out a few of the uh, folks, a few of the homeowners that have called the Today's Homeowner hotline this week.
0: I've got a seven by six bathroom and it's seven foot tall. And I've got an exhaust fan in here and a window, but I still get steam in here. Got a 50 CFM, I think it's is, and I was wondering if I should put a bigger one, or I've got another one I
1: could put in. Hey, this is great. This is good good conversation, and I'm sure many of our listeners are leaning in right now because they may be having the same problem. A few fundamentals here. First of all, when you use your exhaust fan, uh, use it early and let it run a little bit. 10 or 15 minutes after you complete your shower is not unreasonable. Sometimes it takes that long. The proper size of the fan is also a key point that he brought up there, and in going to today's homeowner.com. You can you can Google bath fan calculator. Very easy to put in the size of your room, and it'll tell you exactly how big of a, a, a unit that you need there. Now, he mentioned that he had one that's 50 CFMs. The calculator says you need one that's 39 CFMs, so it should be covered there. But, Joe, there's more to it than that because that little damper in there, that right, there's yep. a little inline damper that when the fan comes on, it opens so that you can exhaust. It closes after the fan goes off to prevent any insects or outside air going in there. But if that is a little slow or let's say cantankerous, um, <laughs> it, it, yeah. you're going to have a little problem there, right?
2: Yeah. You want to make sure that damper is not stuck. And the other thing, of course, we mention mentioned this all the time, people assume this is venting to the outside, but which it is supposed to, but maybe it's not. So go up into your attic And take a peek and make sure, or if it's between floors, make sure it's venting to the outside, taking that air and not just dumping it into the building itself. Um, But yeah, you have to take down that little grill. It usually just pops right down, turn on the fan. The other thing, Danny, we haven't mentioned this in a while, but a good way to check to see if your fan's got sufficient draw of air you know, make sure the grill is in place and take just one piece of toilet tissue paper or just facial tissue, turn on the fan and hold it up. It should suck that paper off your hand and hold it against the grill. If it doesn't have enough power to hold up a single sheet of toilet paper, then there's an issue. And yeah, I would certainly replace the fan. Um, He is covered with the 50 CFM, but just barely. You can upgrade these days, Danny. They have fans that go on automatically and they have lights. I think some even have Don't they play music or something? What were you talking about? Uh, Oh,
1: yeah, uh, with the uh, MP3 players and Bluetooth enabled and all of that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If the fan, and this is a case with anybody, is is in a bathroom that gets used a lot and it is over 10 or 15 years old, go ahead and change it out. They have these little quick kits that you can pull out just from the inside. You never have to get in the attic. You end up with 50% more power and 30% quieter than the one you have now. I'm sure that's appealing, so you can find out. Um, actually our friends at Brone New Tones. You can go to brone.com and read everything there is about it. Let's go back to the hotline and pick up another call.
0: I'm doing a renovation in the back of my house. The main sewer hookup is in the front of the house. Do I have to dig up and do that outside of the house and, and dig up the yard? Or can I run a pipe with a grinder pump or something like that and pump it up? out and then to the front of the house.
1: Another good question, and boy, have I ever dealt with this many a time with the hundreds and hundreds of additions I've built on the back of homes. Almost all of them have a need for sewer with some type of plumbing going in there. The most common way that it's done is, first of all, you dig up where you're going to connect to the front in the front. So if you have a drain there, so a lot of times the plumber will go right to the edge of the street because that's the lowest point on the gravity-fed drain coming out of the house out to the street. Now you dig that out there and then you have to use a builder's level, an electronic level, to be able to shoot shoot a grade knowing how deep that is and how uh, at what height you're coming out of the slab the the amount of footage from point A to point B and then I think it's a quarter inch per 10 foot slope that you have to have it's much more subtle than you might think. That has to be calculated, which is fairly easy, and that tells you whether or not you can simply connect to that line without any type of grinder pump or anything along the way to make sure that all of the waste gets to that um, outlet out there. A good, experienced plumber that has done a lot of renovation work will do this instinctively. Very easy for him to determine that, before you start building so that you know what's ahead. Now Joe that goes with uh, you know goes without saying you got to have a good way to get from Right. The backyard to the front yard so hopefully it's not all concrete between here and there but boy that is one scenario i have done hundreds of times
2: and that's assuming that the new addition in the back isn't at a lower elevation in which case you're definitely gonna have to pump it up because there's no other way because this is as danny said all just gravity fed ordinarily so uh, yeah i think pump is typically only needed when you know you're lower than wherever that meets the street, lower than that. And you know, hopefully it got a nice level lot or maybe it's a little higher, so it won't be an issue.
1: Let's get one more call before we go to break.
2: We have a brick home. that has three layers of brick for the walls. And on the inside, they never put a wood structure up. They just plastered over about three-quarter inches
1: thick and trying to figure out how to get this plaster off easy or insulate from the inside. That's almost one of those, Joe, that if you find out a way, let us know because we don't know a way. Uh, well, the thing about it is when you – and I know exactly this type of situation. It must be a yep. fairly old home. Yeah, it must But, you be. know, you have brick, and it's going to be porous. You put something like plaster on it, and, boy, it becomes part of that brick. So yeah. to chip it all off, the problem with, once you do chip it all off, what do you have there? You, you've gained three quarters of an inch, but boy, do you do you have a, a rough, messy uh, place to deal with there. I think I'd forget about the three quarter inch. I think I'd put two by fours flat on the wall, insulate between the two by fours with um, inch and a half foam, and then go over it with drywall. You're not going to miss that little bit of the space in the room, uh, because uh, I think chipping off, on it um
2: yeah
1: oh boy i just don't know what kind of surface you'd end up with on that
2: well you're going to wind up with a relatively rough brick surface which might be kind of a cool look in part of a house i'm not sure um but yeah if you want if you need to remove the plaster the way you do it the way the professionals do it is with a a a drill a special drill called an sds drill and they're pretty expensive so you'd rent one but it speeds up the job immeasurably. The SDS stands for slotted drive system because the drill bit has slots in it that lock onto the drill. Anyway, what you want to do is get it with a wide chisel bit and just within minutes you can clear all that. Obviously you want to wear safety glasses and hearing protection and dust mask, but that's about the only way. It's not it's not quiet and it's not neat, but it's a pretty quick and quick way to do it with uh you know you're not going to do it by hand so this is the way to do it with an SDS drill
1: it might be you want to go rent one and just give it a try a little bit knowing that you can take the drill back very quickly and just see how well it works and that might be a solution as well hope we've been able to help you out on that we're going to take a short break here on today's homeowner radio we'll be right back
2: Today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe.
1: The Today's Homeowner Radio show is heard on some amazing radio stations all over the country. We're so proud of all of our stations, including this one, KLCJ 104.1 FM in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Special hello to everybody there in Louisiana. We'd love to hear from you. You can pick up the phone right now and call us, 800-946-4420. Or go to today's homeowner.com slash ask to send us an email. And uh, we have some great emails here. A lot of people are thinking about all kinds of things to to do coming up here when the weather gets a little bit better. This one came in uh, from Marianne. She says, my patio and pool deck has aggregate concrete that is very difficult for my grandchildren to walk on. What type of cover would you put over this? You know, washed aggregate or commonly called exposed gravel um, is where you've seen it a, a lot in commercial situations as well as residential patios where basically when the concrete's poured, you expose the the top just sixteenth of an inch and it gives it a nice uh, attractive look and also a um, normally um, a fairly skid resistant type of surface. However, Around pools, that never did quite make sense to me, Joe, because um, you're always barefooted, I hope. You're
2: always barefooted, exactly. And yeah.
1: sometimes that surface can be a little rough, and it sounds like Marianne and the grandkids are having a little trouble with that. But it's a little difficult because if you have concrete, traditional concrete, that's a little rough, you can use various types of sanders or grinders to make a difference on it. I don't think that would work very good with rocks because they're so hard. You might get a little bit of a shine out of it and a little little bit of a smoothness out of it, but I don't believe you're going to get what you want. But if you recap it and completely seal over it, then the beauty of that finish goes away, and you just have to realize it's going to be a completely different look. But I right. think the only way to really get that smooth is to, um, to to do what we're talking about with using some of the Quickrete recap and resurface the entire thing. But I also wonder, Joe, if you got it really, really clean, right, and you use some of the thicker type of exterior sealer, maybe not the Mm -hmm. silicone base that's very, very thin, but something that would give you just a little bit of a buildup so that the rocks don't hurt those little feet as much. You think that might be a possibility?
2: Yeah. I think if the aggregate wasn't exposed very much, you might be able to get away with that. But this sounds like it's probably exposed a lot and it might might not be pea gravel, which is smooth and rounded. So, you know, isn't terribly uncomfortable. I wonder if this is more stone-like, more gravelly. And that's why. It's, and, and, yeah. and, and they
1: still expose a lot of the big rocks right. a lot of yeah. times. And that can be terrible on your feet. And to tell you the truth, it's just not a good finish because uh, generally the larger rocks will turn loose at some point right. yeah. and you end up with some voids in the concrete. But uh, I think some type of sealer, and I'd really go to the paint counter and really let them know what you're doing. And it may be that you end up even having to put as many as three coats on there. But right. the good news, yeah. each coat you put on, is gonna make it smoother and, and better for those feet.
2: And I know you can stain and, and or dye concrete before you put it down i can you do that with recap i don't see why you couldn't we'd have to check you you can you can Uh yeah so you can change the color of it make it you know whatever color you want they have lots of different colors and i know they they do grind down concrete as you mentioned and you know i'm not sure if you can grind down i think you can grind down pea gravel but holy moly she's talking about a pool deck and a patio that's all i mean you'd have to hire someone yeah if she finds someone in her area that's done that often with something like this you're not the only person in the neighborhood or the town that has an aggregate exposed aggregate concrete patios and maybe you can find out what your neighbors have done to prevent that from hurting their feet.
1: There you go. Best of luck on that. I hope we're able to. Hope you're able to get those. Because uh, summer's around the corner. You want to. You want those kids to get out there and not have to That's wear flip flops right. when they're running around. Here's another one. Ginger um, from Georgia says, "I'm trying to recreate a curtain rod that I saw at Pottery Barn. I bought a one inch diameter acrylic rod and some decorative finials for the ends. How do I drill into the end of the acrylic rod to attach the finials? I thought about just gluing them on." to the end of the rod and I'm afraid all the movement open and closing of the curtains would make them come off um, and come unglued and no one Listen to this. And no one wants to come unglued. <laughs> <laughs> well, she called the wrong place because we were about as unglued. Exactly right.
2: <laughs> well, I'm unglued. Danny's unhinged. But either way, you never know well, what we're going to tell you.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think both. I think putting a, a small diameter, well-chosen length and width of screw right in the very, very end of it, along with a really good glue, like an yep. epoxy-type glue, um, super glue-type of format— um, I think that's what I would do, but drilling that hole very carefully through that, through acrylic, is not going to be a problem.
2: Right, you can just drill it with a regular twist drill bit.
1: That's right, yeah, but you really need, you know, that thin diameter. I almost think about some of the cabinet-type screws Mm -hmm. that would, you know, would not be so obvious, and they go right in there with a special bit, and uh, I think maybe that's what I would uh, recommend for that.
2: Yeah, I would, too. I mean, you can certainly, I mean, you want to get that that um, hole right in the dead center of course um excuse me but um can you drill a drive a screw right into acrylic dowel like that i think you can i would just make sure that the drill is the, the screw itself is Just barely bigger than the hole, because you don't want to wedge it Mm -hmm. in there, because it would crack it, and you don't want to snap off that screw either, because then you're then really stuck. But yeah, you should be able to, with like Danny said, a little glue and then just a small enough small screw just to hold it in place. That should be fine. I like the fact that she's creating this on her own.
1: I know. I thought the same Probably thing. Saving a lot of money. You, I you know what that reminds me of is uh, one time. Uh, I think I told you about this where I didn't realize that you can go online different sites and get right. knockoff recipes For popular foods, such as, um, Uh you know, I I remember somebody told me about the magic uh, sauce on a uh, hamburger at McDonald's, and they were able to to completely reproduce that, which I don't know why they would, but uh, completely reproduce that. But then we tried that one time with my daughters uh, out on the West Coast. There's a place called Rubio's, Rubio's. Um, fish tacos. Unbelievable. It's kind of a little fast food place, but oh, they're incredible. And they good. have some kind of special sauce on it. Well, my daughters went online, found a knockoff recipe for it. They went out and got the mahi-mahi. I grilled it up like they told me to, because right. I always do what I'm told to do. And, <laughs> and then they of fixed course. all the sauce and we sat down. Unbelievable. I Was mean, it just
2: like Rubio's? Uh,
1: just like Rubio's. Oh, we even, that's terrific. We even duplicated some... Um, uh, in and out burgers. Everybody loves in and out burgers, you know. And
2: Why and are they even, different than any other burger?
1: They're they just, do something
2: different to well
1: I, well, I mean, I don't know. They seem to me like they're just incredibly fresh, and they're always oh, consistent, okay. always yeah. good. But we duplicated that as well. That was kind of kind of proud of that. Let's get right back to home improvement and off the restaurant kick there. <laughs> um, th- this is one I wanted to make sure that you heard, uh, Joe. This is from okay. Libby, uh, also in Georgia. I recently saw a simple solution where Joe showed how to make the end of a caulking tube fit right into the corner. He took oh, a little yeah. piece of, of sandpaper, pushed it into the right angle corner, then sort of filed down the tip with using the sandpaper. Could you tell me what grit sandpaper Joe used? So, Joe, you might want to see what kind of paper and maybe kind of recap that uh, simple solution for our other listeners there.
2: Yeah. In fact you can see a video of this at today's homeowner.com slash simple solutions. But yeah, Libby, what I, I used 120 grit sandpaper, by the way. And the tip is how to the tip is how to adjust the tip, how to alter the tip of a caulking tube when you're putting a bead on a at a right angle, like where one a horizontal surface meets a vertical surface. And the idea is you bend the, you fold the piece of sandpaper and you jam it in the corner so it's at that 90 degrees then you just after snipping off the tip at 45 degrees you rub the tip back and forth on the sandpaper and what you're doing is you're conforming that tip to fit you're beveling the edges of that tip to fit the 90 degree angle or whatever that angle happens to be it should be about 90 degrees the sandpaper allows you to custom. Trim that. So that—that's what Ruby, what Libby was talking about. And yes, that is um, 120 grit sandpaper. You could probably use 100 grit. I wouldn't use anything much coarser than that. Um, but again, you can find a video of showing me demonstrating that tip.
1: Well, that's another example of where simple solution and where you kind of. Uh, you yeah, pop yourself in the front of your head and go. I <laughs> should have thought of that. Why didn't I think of that? Because that is a really good one when you're doing that delicate caulking around there. Because everybody's right. put on too much caulking, they wet their finger, they smear, and then the smear and it just looks like icing everywhere. So
2: and you use will, a lot of caulk that lot way. A lot of
1: caulk. So this yeah. will keep it under control. Another great simple solution from a buddy, Joe Truini. You're listening to today's Homeowner Radio. I'm Danny Lipford, and we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back.
2: back to Today's Homeowner Radio. Here are Danny and Joe.
1: Are you currently receiving the Today's Homeowner e-newsletter? We certainly hope you do. And if not, why don't you go to todayshomeowner.com slash newsletter and sign up today. It's completely free and you'll receive in your inbox once a week the latest, greatest, most current home improvement information that can really help you around your home that you'll find anywhere. That's todayshomeowner.com slash newsletter newsletters been getting a lot of great calls we have one now from Greg in Minnesota Greg welcome to the show uh I see by my notes here you've been doing a little painting huh
0: in indoor projects Danny
1: Oh good for you there you go I'm, yeah, I yeah I doubt um painting the outside of the house would be very <laughs> very good in Minnesota right now <laughs> yeah. Well tell us what we can help you with
0: Well I I'm painting the interior walls and I when I paint I buy the best brushes I can. That's good. And yeah. I, when I'm done between, um, well, between breaks and so forth, I wash them out and uh, clean them up really well. But what I've noticed is that the bristles near that metal band that connects it to the wooden handle, mm-hmm. it starts caking up in there. Mm-hmm. And I can't get that clean. And over time, that caked-up paint starts growing down yep. towards the end of the bristles <laughs> where pretty soon all I have is about an inch and a half of flexibility in the bristles. <laughs> and the rest of it's all caked up gunk. So I was wondering if you guys had a tip or some I I think Joe's got this one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Joe, Joe definitely has this When one. Uh, Joe's been able to share uh, a lot of painting tips over the years and a lot of it has to do with, with brushes and keeping them yeah, clean absolutely. and that kind of thing. Uh, Joe, what do you say to Greg here on trying to reclaim some of those paint brushes and keep that from happening again?
2: Yeah, that's not, that's a pretty common problem. And there are several simple solutions. And one of first thing, um, you know, I always tell people as you did in this case you buy really good paintbrushes and take care of them so i thought i'd share a simple solution this was a while ago but it solves the problem you're having that metal band which is called a ferrule by the way um where the the holds the bristles to the, the handle first you should be really careful not to dip your brush that deeply into the paint that it's getting anywhere near there but you know that happens it drops in or you're painting upside down and it runs down into that area so it's a little hard to prevent that from happening unless you try this simple solution all you need is some painter's tape Um, I usually use two inch wide painter's tape but I guess you could use narrower ones if you have it. and I wrap it around the ferrule and allow it to extend onto the bristles by maybe a half inch or three quarters of an inch not much more than that and what that does, of course, is if any paint gets up in that area, it'll get on the tape, not on, it won't fill in the top of the bristles. Because you're right, what happens is it gets in that little joint, it dries, and it keeps keeps building up, then it starts chipping out, and you wind up with these little pieces of dried paint and your work. So that, that's the only th- tip I know to keep that from happening is wrap some painter's tape around it. And you'd mentioned when you take a break, you often will clean the, the brush. Well, if you're just going to take a break, Um, I don't even bother cleaning them. What I do is, you know, brush off the excess paint and just wrap it in plastic wrap, food wrap, then put it in a Ziploc bag and just leave it as long as you're sealing out the air. Then, you know, it'd be good to go. You know, even if you take two or three hours off, the paint will still, the paintbrush will still be ready to use. But um, so try that, that tape trick, Greg, and I'm sure that'll work for you.
1: Thank you. All right. Okay, well, keep painting away. By the end of the winter, you'll have the whole inside of your house painted. It'll be looking great. Then you can switch to the outside when the sun starts shining. Hi uh, Greg. Thanks so much for being with us here on Today's Homeowner Radio. Let's go to an email right now. If you'd like to send us an email, we'd sure love to get one from you. You can send one at todayshomeowner.com slash ask. This one came in from Tony. I remodeled our kitchen with Ikea cabinets. I'm satisfied with the results, but now I'm a little puzzled on how to attach my quarter round shoe molding around the bottom of the base cabinets. I think the kick plates are made of some kind of plastic composite and the floor is laminate flooring on concrete. Can I use a brad nailer and shoot through the kick plate or will that crack it what do you think on that joe i mean you hmm. know uh, I, I have installed a lot of shoe molding using um construction adhesive right. just um you get a good construction adhesive like tight bond and you apply it to it let it maybe air dry for 30 seconds and put it in place yep It pretty much uh, will hold up as long as you need to. But what if he wanted to put a nail or two with his Brad nailer? You think he can get away with going through the shoe molding and into that toe kick?
2: He certainly could. And I'm not exactly sure what a plastic composite kick plate is. I I mean, I'm not even sure why it would be made out of that. The whole cabinet tree is made out of Ikea. It's typically some kind of particle board with veneer on it. Um, Well, there's one way to find out you know cut a piece of shoe molding put it in place i was going to suggest a little construction adhesive or type bond makes that glue now Danny, that's i forget what they call it, but it's like pretty thick
1: and yeah, it sets quick, up really quick and called? thick i think it's quick and thick quick, yeah something quick like that thick, something like and that.
2: a little bit of that that would probably work you don't want anything that's going to run all over the place um and i would do it like on the side of a cabinet maybe where it's a little inconspicuous and shoot in one or two brads and Brad's, I'd think, you know, I would go much thicker than a 16-gauge. If you have an 18-gauge nailer, I'd use that, something thinner shoot one or two in and see what happens. You know, it might just blast right through it. Um,
1: mm-hmm. I would suspect I'll, it would. You know, I think you it have, probably would. Yeah, yeah, if you have it nice and firmly held there and you're shooting that nail in, it should be able to penetrate that pretty easy. And that might be something on the IKEA site that they uh, address. If it's a common question, you might be able yeah. to find, you know, any suggestion. It might be that. in
2: Swedish, though, so you would have to have a translated. Yeah, that's true.
1: Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let's get one more, <laughs> one more email in. Again, remind you, you can send us one at today's todayshomeowner.com com slash ass. This came in from Ted in Missouri. We're planning to build a pretty sizable addition to our two small one story home. However, we're not sure whether it'd be better to build up, buy it in a second floor, or build out of the house. What should we consider before we make this decision? Well, vast majority of the time, Ted, it is much Uh, cheaper to build out instead of up. And the reason I say that is the um, need to install a staircase. A staircase, a legal code compliant staircase, takes up a lot of room. And unless you have um, plenty of room for that travel of that staircase going up, then you're going to be taking away a sizable amount of your existing square footage to create the square footage up ahead. So, if you have the room um, and the, your lot size be, is big enough, then I would consider building it out. It's a traditional one-story home. Just let it be a slightly larger one-story home, and that generally is what I have found by building thousands of additions over the years. That that is the best way to go. And you can also get a architectural designer or architect to advise you a little bit, because I'm sure they've dealt with both issues. You know, maybe even in your neighborhood there to be able to see. What would be the most economical way of doing that? Hey, coming up, we're going to be doing more more um, of our emails as well as a simple solution. Right around the corner. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to today's homeowner radio.
2: Welcome back to today's homeowner radio. Here are Danny and Joe.
1: And certainly welcome back. We certainly appreciate you being with us. And, you know, we've got such a great audience and great group of listeners all over the country that uh, are really involved in their home. That's why we have so much fun and trying to help out the process and point you in the right direction, share with you a lot of the things that have worked for Joe and I over the many, many years that we've been in it. So it's a win-win for everybody. So let's go right to our email stack here. And, again, if you'd like to send us one, today'shomeowner.com/slash. As this came in from Clarence in. Kentucky, would it help to steam the curled edges of peeling wallpaper before trying to glue them back down? These edges seem to have a memory and they want to curl back no matter how good my glue is. <laughs> Just wanted to know. Uh, steaming may help uh, remove the memory of the wallpaper um, that, you know, it might have. The only problem with that, Joe, I, I mean, I, I certainly can relate to this that, right. you know, yeah. he's steaming it, injecting some moisture in it, it's going to make it more pliable. But um, I found guess, that... It's guess what?
2: else it's going to do, though? It's going to remove the wallpaper.
1: (laughs) Right. You know, so it's a, I'd be real hesitant on steam. Now, a spray bottle uh, Mm -hmm. where you sparingly put a little bit of water on it and you push it a little bit, move it a little bit um, to try to, uh, you know, even it out. The problem is you can't glue... Uh, well, you, you could put some wallpaper paste under there. I'm sorry to say right. you can't yeah. glue wet paper. But, you know, you might be able to use a a wallpaper paste that uh, will will be okay if there's a little bit of moisture there. Uh, again, that'll make it more applicable to put plenty of that on it, push it in place, rub it, take that plastic six-inch drywall knife and just keep yeah. scraping that and scraping it down. Problem then is it still may retain that memory and peel back off after it dries Uh, Because it's hard to, you know, I put painter's tape on it and I still would recommend that might be a a good thing to put like a three quarter inch or one inch tape right over it to help one side hold the other. But sometimes uh, you just have to know that that wallpaper is going to end up coming down because it it is really hard to get something that's already curling to lay back down flat. Yeah,
2: I was thinking the same thing. Yeah, steam, using a steamer, you know, my concern would be it would loosen up all the wallpaper at your or touching with steam. Um, so you could try. Uh, I thought if you, I wonder if you soaked a sponge or a thick cloth in some really hot water, um, wring it out, then press it to the curled edges and hold it there for a few seconds. So you won't be introducing much water, but you might be introducing just enough warmth and steam that it'll soften that curled edge enough. And then you glue it, press it down. And you really should use a wallpaper seam roller, which is just a little handle with a roller that's pretty narrow. Just roll it back and forth, back and forth, and hopefully that'll settle it down. I'm not sure what kind of wallpaper this is. I assume it's paper as opposed to vinyl because paper would really hold that curl. I think the challenge would indeed be, okay, once you get it flat, is it going to stay flat while that glue dries um, and I guess, you gonna know, have to try it and find out.
1: Because, you know, if you try to apply some heat, even with a hairdryer, it's drying it too rapidly. Yeah, and yeah. it may just cause it to curl right back curl up. Curl it back but, up, yeah. But uh, but I would take a good quality uh, wallpaper paste, give it a try, wet it down a little bit, and just be patient. And keep move. you know, keep dragging it down flat, dragging it down flat. Put a little tape on it. See what happens. Do a little test on it this afternoon and uh, <laughs> see if it actually... You can
2: always hang a picture over it.
1: That's all. Yeah, or hang a picture over it. Again. Get a <laughs> or Danny
2: in a nice frame and just hang it over
1: there. We're happy to send you one. There you go. Hey, let's go uh, one more email here. Jackson in Salem, Oregon. We have a problem with our exterior French doors. When it rains really hard, water hits the glass runs down the doors, and comes inside and beneath the doors. We've installed metal flashing, but it's not helping. What can you do to solve this problem? Well, I would certainly Hmm. get a hold of this one pretty quickly because, you know, um, if you have a situation where water's coming off your roof, And, you know, whether you have an overhang of 16 inches or two foot or whatever, wind can blow that water back against a French door, and it's just after a while, it's going to find its way in. Uh, if If it's coming in underneath the door, you need to get down there and look really close because apparently that threshold is not doing its job. Because it should be able to allow water to hit a door without finding a way inside if that threshold is nice and tight. But I would also look all around the door and make sure that it's uh, secured well in the, the middle um, where it, it meets in the middle, the piece of molding there called a tiastrical, make sure that that is working properly. And then um, if you, the metal flashing that he's speaking of, Joe, I don't know if he's talking about a rain diverter, but if it's not a rain diverter metal that you have there, go on todayshomeowner.com and put in installing a rain diverter. You'll see how we did the exact thing over a set of French doors that solved the problem these homeowners have by simply installing a seven-foot piece of metal, uh, kind of tilting it just a little bit to divert the water away from the doors and off to a safe area, and that worked perfectly. So um, just um, some simple things to go with on then.
2: Yeah, the flashing is often designed to keep water from going under the door and coming in. In this case, it sounds like it might be coming in from the threshold itself.
1: All right, just take a close look. I'm sure you can find exactly where that order's coming in, but a good another good proactive homeowner. Hey, you're listening to today's Homeowner Radio when we come back? Yep, you know, it's simple solution time. Don't go anywhere.
2: Welcome back to today's homeowner radio. Here are Danny and
1: Joe. We always are so glad each and every week to be with you here on today's homeowner radio. Also, it's a lot of fun during this time of the show when we get to hear another simple solution. Joe, what do you have for us?
2: All right, Danny, this has to do with when you're removing wood trim, talking about interior molding, you know, baseboard and door and window casings, chair rail, anything like that. Often people remove it then replace it. But if you've gone out and priced wood trim lately, it's, it's incredibly expensive. So often it's it's a good, if you can, it's best to pry it off and reuse it. Now, the mistake a lot of people make though is when you pry it off, often the nails get pulled right out of the wall and they're sticking out the back of the molding, right? And the mistake people make is they hammer the nails, seems to make sense, right? You hammer the nails from the back side and you pull them from the front side. But when you do that, Almost every time I can guarantee that nail as it's coming through, even though it's a finished nail, it'll blister and pop off some wood from the front. So that little hole is now a, a scar on the face of these moldings which you have to patch so the trick is to always pull the nails from the back side not hammer it through the front side just grab some locking pliers like vice grips or some any almost any kind of plier but vice grips work really well lock them on there and just bend them out and pull it from the back side and all it leaves is a little tiny hole just the size of the finishing nail head
1: and you know when you're deconstructing at the start of a remodeling project regardless of the size save that mold and you will be- be amazed how yep. many times during renovation projects where you just had that one piece of molding that you couldn't match. And, um, yeah, you know, it can it, it can necessitate changing molding out in the entire room just simply because you got a little crazy when you started uh, tearing it all down. Because you, you get in there, you're finally excited about getting the project yeah. done, yep. and you break a few pieces of molding. Uh, I can't tell you over the years. Um, how many times that that has saved me and you ultimately end up with a better looking job and a real, a nice seamless job. So,
2: and I just want to share one other tip, Good. um, when you're removing it, always take your utility knife and score the top edge of it. Danny and I try to mention it oh, as often yeah. as we can,
1: because
2: mm-hmm. there's either caulking there or even if there's just paint, sometimes that paint, the caulking certainly, but sometimes even the paint, if you pull off that molding without, without scoring that surface, it'll pull the face off the drywall. Mm -hmm. And then you've got another big mess. Right,
1: right. run
2: Run a utility knife along the top there just to sever that so the top edge of that molding will break free cleanly.
1: Another example of just slow down a little bit. That's just right. slow down when you're starting doing that and end up saving you a lot of money and make the job a whole lot better. Hey, I want to remind you of what you can see on the Today's Homeowner Television Show this weekend. It's a project that we called A Closet Divided. Pretty cool, good-sized closet, had a wall right down the middle. One side was his, one side was hers. Different needs, different type of clothes, and we were able to customize each side using just regular materials that you can pick up at Home Depot Depot. was very easy, and the homeowners were so much fun to deal with. You'll get a kick out of this show if you can uh, take a look at it this weekend. We also did a very unique through-the-wall hamper that also served as a linen cabinet. You'll have to see this. I mean, we bought a door for $2.00 little cabinet what? door $2? two dollars two dollars and you know okay. going to, at Habitex, we wanted to show how you could reuse a lot right. of things like that wow. and uh it really turned out well and very practical now it, that won't work for everybody this particular closet backed right up to the laundry room and had just the right space we needed but that was unique but you can see some of the other things that we did again by just using traditional materials and a few um, stock cabinets and really did a great job again my daughter Chelsea my co-host of my television show uh, always has some great ideas that can utilize that space because that's what you're trying to do anytime you're reorganizing a closet you're trying to utilize all that space that's there and i can tell you just that traditional five foot rod running around um, which is done all the time is not the best way to use that closet so hope you're able to tune in and check all of that out. You know, we really appreciate you being with us each and every week here on today's homeowner radio. That pretty much wraps up the show for this week. I'm Danny Lifford, along with my co-host Joe Truini and our wonderful engineer producer, Corey Wilson and Jacob Scarborough. We appreciate everything that everybody does. And from the whole today's homeowner family, we hope to see you next week. Have a great week.